Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. All right, so this week we are back. <laughs> it's been a month. But we are finally back in the saddle. James and I have been busy with respective things in our lives, which we talk about in this episode. And we also talk about some of the struggles that we've been going through and overcoming as well. Enjoy the episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 59 of The Struggles with me, James Park, and Sean Lee. It's been about a month since we recorded. It's been over a month. <laughs> it's been over a month. Okay. Correction. It's been over a month. It's been a month and five days to be exact. Wow. Okay. You know what? That's our longest break. And that was completely unintentional. Mm. April, just to catch our listeners up, I had a bunch of like baby showers. Yeah, I had two baby showers. Actually, no, no. I had one baby shower, a one-year-old birthday party, and like a round of golf that I'd do on a Sunday. And then James, what would you do? I've been, I think my biggest thing is just apartment hunting. I also started going to church again. A couple of my buddies also go to that church. So it's just nice to kind of socialize and see people. I was also at a work trip one week. I had to go to uh, Washington, D.C. for work. Oh, what? Oh, you told me that, but I thought you were in North Carolina. Like, why, why D.C.? Oh, it was Virginia. Oh, Virginia. But it was, I think, just for listeners. Washington, D.C. is easier to place on a map. It's not exactly D.C. I mean, was it fun? Was it, was it like a party? Was it like a... Yeah, it was. So my company, we are fully remote. We don't have a main office or anything. So they throw a company-wide offsite once a year. And this year it was in you know, Washington, D.C. area. So all the entire company, about 250 people flew in and attended the four to five day week long conference slash party. Yeah. During the day it was a, yeah, it was like conference stuff, team meetings. They actually invited a couple congressmen to speak. So there was like a panel that was recorded. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talking about like energy. That was actually really cool. So that was one day and yeah, just a lot of like work stuff. Did you meet any fine honeys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, being the single guy, we kind of have to ask that question, right? <laughs> Any matches across the country? I think it's a work thing. So I, I really wasn't thinking about that. You know what the stats are, bro? You know, like I think 60 or 70% of people meet their like partners through work. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you're in the same office, but I've actually never dated anyone at work before. Mm. Have you? No, I've never worked in an environment where... And <laughs> more than I really think about it. I really had to think about it. I only ever worked in environments where there were more than like five people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I guess I've just been good about separating work and in that kind of personal life. Yeah, that's fair. Back to Virginia, DC. Anything fun? Or was it just like, did it really feel like work? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was not at all like work, it was a lot of events. Like the first night they had, it's like a welcome party and welcome dinner. Everyone just hung around and had drinks. Second night was 
after dinner they had karaoke karaoke like at a local place or like no in the hotel area it was a resort that had a lot of rooms for events and such i see so yeah they'll have dinner and then there's somebody there who's going to dj and they did a karaoke stuff you didn't go crazy no i did not second night was dance party did you go to bed early james yeah i did relatively early like 10 or 11 p.m you went back to your room early around maybe 9 9 30 james what such an old man hey man <laughs> dude i'm just saying you're one week off where you're like you don't have to make sales calls where there's like 250 people to mingle with and you fucking go back to your room that's a real struggle right there that's a real struggle and you're like <laughs> i mean i mean let's be real you're on west coast time so it's really like 6 30 p.m it's not even that late yeah this is all true and also we're up at i was up at 6 30 yeah, my, my sleeping schedule was all thrown off it was really weird it's still getting up around 5 30 6 a.m and then just having to like talk to people the entire day it's a lot yeah i could have been way more social but yeah i just chose not to be because i know myself well enough where i'm gonna just pull the plug when i need to i see that's smart yeah self-care the get together last year was in big bear was that the one in big bear Oh, so that was a, we had another offsite just for the California team. And that was in Big Bear. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So that was just about 30, maybe 40 people. And this one was the entire company. You didn't have to like work in the sense that you didn't have to make calls or anything, right? No, they told us not to. Yeah. I just rested as much as I could, to be honest. But it was really cool because one of our coworkers, he has a band. It's called Juniper. He's on Spotify. My company hired him and his band to play for us on the last night. Oh, wow. It was awesome. They're so good. They're so talented. It's insane. I can't believe this is someone that I work with. Yeah. What's his position in the company? Is he like... Oh, he's just a sales associate like me. But then he's the lead singer and bassist for his three-man band. His drummer was awesome. His guitarist was... Apparently graduated from Juilliard. He was so good. That is a stereotypical starving artist. <laughs> yeah. With a sales job. <laughs> so you know what I thought was really cool about that? Yeah. So he is a sales associate making cold calls by day, but he is only making phone calls for his true passion of music. I thought that was super interesting. He has like a bigger drive than what I thought he did. Oh, I see what he means. He's, he's working to support his artistry. Yeah. And if you have something to support what you're working for, like why you're working, why you're making all these phone calls, it just makes it so much easier. I thought that was super interesting. And then one of our coworkers too, she placed second place in the World Skydiving Championship competition. What? Yeah, her <laughs> team. There's four of them. She's one of them. Also a sales associate but is a world champion skydiver. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's dope. Dude, it's so cool. And it actually made me think about how off air, right before this, I was just telling Sean how, how I'm kind of tired. I'm just tired of working already. And it's only been 10 months. And I, I think a lot of people kind of go through the struggle of when they have a job and they're trying to figure out like, why am I still doing this job? I think the only that's important is to have some motivation Aside from just the work, you should be doing something aside from your main job. 
And a lot of people that it comes down to family, relationship, but it can also be your hobbies, your passion, whatever you're truly passionate about, whatever you truly, really want to do with your life, what you enjoy doing. And I thought that was really cool. Just learning that that was the most important piece for me is when I went to go meet a lot of my teammates for the first time, I got to realize that there are other people outside of this life. Yeah. And for me, I kind of grew up with the identity of I'm someone who just works and I'm slowly starting to get out of that kind of mindset where I rely on work to define who I am. Hmm. And I just thought that was super interesting to meet, especially these two coworkers who, before I met them, I just thought that they were another like sales associate, but there's just so much more than that. And if anything, their job is not their identity. Yeah. Right? Whereas a lot of people, I think the struggle with work is that they identify so much with it. Hmm. I like that. I mean, you guys are doing something pretty cool too. It's not like you're like flipping burgers at Burger King. Y'all are like in the clean energy yeah. space, the environmental business. I remember you talking about this last year. I mean, that that was probably one of the bigger appeals of this company and, and the job itself mm-hmm. was, you know, learning more about the environmental business space. I think that's interesting. And you brought up that, you know, you uh, thought the talks were interesting, right? And maybe part of it's just like digging into that a little bit deeper. I know like sales has been like just the role, but it's like, it's like me, like I'm like trying to read up as much as I can on AI the past two months, keeping up with all the developments, not because of the hype, but more so because I'm actually like looking at, well, how is going to impact our business? If like, AI just automates podcast production, which I think it will. It will. It already has in many ways. But I'm just like, all right, how do we stay at the curve? And where can we continue to add value as a podcast production company once you know a lot of this is automated? Which I, the more I think about it, like, yeah, I think in like five years, at least, or at most, there'll be even more automation for podcast production. Well, one part you could do is just to prepare for it figure out what your process is and then see if AI can help you right now with it. Yeah. I don't know if you want to turn your production company into an AI generated podcast company, but there's definitely a lot of tools that are probably going to be developed that are going to help podcast production become much easier. Yeah. I mean, there's already like AI tools for helping you write like descriptions, like summaries of podcasts, which is pretty dope. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I think what you're talking about in terms of that struggle of like finding purpose, meaning, identity, whatever you call it, outside of work is is an important thing. I think it's it is very important. Yeah. And some people don't have to really function like that. And know that there are a lot of people who just know that work is just work. Yeah. But for me, I think I just learned that it's pretty important to my identity. So it's interesting what we're talking about this because like Based on what you just said, I know some people, like you said, they work, you know, for family, right? For their hobbies and whatnot. So I think like for those people, maybe their identity is like their family. I'm like the family person, like I'm the provider, male or female. And, you know, ideally they also have a very meaningful, impactful, rewarding job. Perfect examples like Mink, like she loves her work. She loves healing kids. And it's like, it's cool that she actually likes her job. And I think part of that too is like she likes her coworkers a lot. Well, she likes the environment that her hospital down here in Orange County provides and the kind of people it attracts. So that's pretty cool when people find that like match. And I think for me, like 
you made me think about this just now. It's like, what is work to me? And I think that's something like I'm always looking for. It's like work having to be much more than just, you know, means to an end. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something problematic with that as well, because I'm trying to like, personally, like, I think sometimes I over attach a value to like, or try to dig too much into like finding a, a purpose or a meaning for something. And if I can't, then I'm like, I lose interest in it, or I'm like, not overly engaged with it. And so it makes me like, kind of just chase rabbit holes in many ways. It makes me feel that I lack focus sometimes. Because like, am I like really giving something a good enough effort before I try something else? Yeah. So there's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where like I'm trying to find, I'm trying too hard to find meaning in my work. Maybe that's the thing is sometimes work doesn't have to have more meaning than just its work. Yeah, I agree. I find that very hard to do though, especially if you're spending the vast majority of your waking hours a week working. That's the hard part. Mm. And not to get all kind of religious here, but because I went to church today, the pastor, I don't want to slaughter what he says, but I kind of disagree with what he said. His base statement was that wealth, money, it's really important to us as individuals or just as, as people, right? Especially in this day and age and, and long ago too. Money and wealth brought you all the power, it brought food, blah, blah, blah. You need it to survive. But he said something, he just mentioned that how it was like, oh, for Christians, this should not be something that's like as important. Like you can't put your trust into wealth and money. And I found that really hard to listen to because it seems very difficult not to rely on wealth. I know you and I, we, we talked about money a lot of times before, especially the most recent time I can think about is it was when we were talking about like winning the lottery. Yeah. And how I was saying how it was like, it's going to completely change anyone's life. And you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, how does that make any sense? <laughs> but when you're trying to work to earn money, to have a way of life and Maybe some people only work like 10 hours a week and they're able to make it work. And maybe some people work 100. So whatever that kind of range is, it's very difficult to not put meaning behind however many hours you have to work to get some way to feed yourself Yeah, and to put a roof over your head and to buy simple things here and there. I'm not even talking extravagant things, but just the mean necessary means to make your life a little bit better. I guess maybe that's the meaning for a lot of people. They work because they just need to, and it's what's going to sustain them for a life. I see what you're saying, and I totally hear you that you like you don't want to misinterpret what he meant either. And bring us back to like the lottery situation. It just like I don't think there's a right answer at either end of the spectrum, right? Like scarcity or abundance. I think like if I were to take us back to that conversation, my key kind of takeaway or the key point that I was, I realized I was trying to get at was that there is a plateau. Like there is a point of diminishing returns where like more money just doesn't get you anything more really. If anything, it's like potentially more like burden. I do strongly believe that like to feel stable, successful, whatever the word is, right? There is a magic number for everybody, depending on where you're from. In the US, I think the number for a family, at least for a couple, is like, I think it's 250,000. I think it's 200,000 post tax. 
250 like pre-tax. There's like that magic number. Like that is a number where like you can pretty much do what you want or be able to afford to have not only the things, experiences that you want to experience, but the time to experience those things. And so, yeah, until like you get there, it is like, I do feel like there is a lot of scarcity. But then once you're over that, maybe that's what the pastor means, like, or just like the continual pursuit of wealth is just like, that's kind of aimless. Yeah. There was a point about you can't take wealth with you. No. When you die, whether you leave it for as like a legacy or not, or you live for your kids. Yeah. Or you bury it. Or you bury it. Yeah. Like if you're a pharaoh. But <laughs> maybe it stuck out to me a lot because I do feel that I'm financially struggling more than I've ever struggled before in the past. And that might also be because I was used to living a certain life. And I took massive pay cuts, took a long time between like real jobs and kind of restarting my career. And you know, all these things were, especially with looking for an apartment right, right now and living in California, probably the most expensive state in the United States, if not top five. Yeah. But if I could say something, James, I think what's interesting about your dilemma, and this is like, I'm not saying this to like, blame you or anything or point fingers. I think there's a dissonance in that like, I remember when we started out recording this podcast, like before you found this job, you're like, hey, I'm willing to take this like pay cut, right? The severe pay cut for a profession, for a skill set. I want to learn and hone, like fucking taking, you know, Liam Neeson, like I want to get really good at this skill, you know? (laughs) But I think the dissonance is that like, once you got in the grind of things and you're like, just like, shit, I'm putting this much time, I'm getting this output. And that's like all you see. Yeah. It gets into your head and you're just like, dude, wait, this kind of doesn't make sense. You know, because it's not like you couldn't get a job where you would get paid like over 200K. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're right. <laughs> it's, it's I've like, forgotten the larger picture of why I've done this to myself. Right. <laughs> the consequences of that decision I mean, I didn't think of it, right? Like how it would impact like potentially like, all right, what kind of apartments or what kind of places can you like afford to live in, you know? Because at the time it was just like, you know, you hadn't like worked in like a year and you were fucking adamant about learning sales, you know? Yeah. I was like, all right, fucking go for it, James. Yeah. You know, you could do ops. We would have hired you a Clever. I mean, Clever is not around anymore, but you know, like would have hired you for a fucking ops, like Clever, you know? That's like- That's true. No. I want to do sales. That's true. I've had a couple of opportunities, two or three that I've passed up. And not just any sales. I want to do entry-level sales. Yeah. I want to start from the bottom. <laughs> what was I thinking? You know, but the one thing I will say, the caveat to all this is that like, this is like the part where I'm like very, I want to say religious, but very um, spiritual or faithful in belief. And that's like, dude, like, Looking back at my life, there have been many times, many decisions where I was just like, fuck, what was I thinking? Or be like, fuck, my parents were right. You know, or my friends were right. Or they were just like, dude, don't waste your time doing that or don't fucking do that. And it's like later on, you know, it accumulated and builds it like something built on top of that foundation and it became more and it became a lot more. And it was just like, holy shit. I'm so glad I, was, I did those things, right? Like, say the podcast. You know, like, people were just like, why the fuck are you starting a podcast at Berkeley? It's such a waste of time. You know, like, focus on your MBA. You know, why are you doing podcasting? But what I'm trying to say is, like, 
we also have to be kind of open and aware to opportunities. And that's one of the biggest struggles I feel like I've been going through the past year is like not being open. And and I keep saying this because I've got a couple friends that are like going through a bunch of things where like they started noticing like things aligning. They were like, oh, oh my God, there's so many coincidental things that are happening right now in my life, you know, or won't name names, but like one of my friends that we know, like he went to this conference that he like, it was like a really expensive conference. And he was like, it's like a cult, you know, like, I can't believe I'm <laughs> at this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like a million magical things happened out of it. And he still like, wasn't like a huge fan of it, but he met some cool people that like were on the same wavelength as him. or just like, yeah, this is like, I'm glad I met you here, but the shit's like kind of bullshit, you know? And then like more and more things like Domino started falling in place. But the interesting was that like nothing had changed in, in many ways. I think life is always just happening. And I heard this the other day, like life is either happening to you, for you, or through you. And the three levels of difference that it's happening to you is just like, you just feel like it's like a struggle to live. And then when things are happening for you, you're just like, oh, you're kind of taking aware, more awareness. And then when things are happening through you, you just start noticing all these coincidences. When in reality, I think everything has always been there. The opportunity's always been there. It's just like our level of awareness was not there. Yeah, I like that. And people were like, hey, look, there's like all these loving people around you and you don't see it, you don't want to see it, then you're not going to see it, right? You're going to be like, oh my God, I'm so fucking alone. Like everybody fucking hates me. But it's like, if you have that level of awareness and all you see are like, oh my God, I have so many loving friends around, right? So many supportive people. And again, nothing has changed in the outside world but everything is kind of like within our perception. And that's something I've been working on, kind of fine-tuning my own signal or what we call it. I really like what you just said because it sounds like a dummy version of manifestation. I don't know about any of the listeners, but I often come across posts or, or short-lived videos. Sean, I don't know about you, but, oh, you ask whatever for the world, you manifest what you want from the universe. If you tell the universe what you want, it's going to manifest for you. When I hear a lot of this stuff, my initial thought was, this is all just garbage. This is like somebody who is making clickbait material who actually doesn't really know what they're talking about. Like, you're going to go to someone who's really struggling and you're going to tell them, hey, just put out to the universe what you want and it's, you're going to manifest your dreams and they're going to come true. Yep. It sounds like garbage. <laughs> I totally get you. I've been telling the universe that I want to break 90. I still haven't broken 90 yet. So, <laughs> no, oh my God. Oh my God. All right. But the way you described it, it actually does sound like, like a very much more realistic version of what you can do to change your own reality. Yep. And so I really like the way that you just described it is it makes us seem as if a lot of the things that we can do are, are in our control. Yeah. It's a shift in perspective. That's really all it takes because like nothing, especially when we feel stuck, and you only feel stuck because you feel your perception is that this thing's permanent. Like whatever situation that I'm stuck in, like this is like, it feels permanent. It feels like I can't change it. But like, you just got to see a different perspective. Like, oh, this is just temporary or this is just transitory. This is just, I'm just passing through this like stage, right? And because I just brought up golf, <laughs> that's literally how I started seeing it. I was like, I've been trying to fucking manifest 90, 89. It's still not happening. What's going on? I'm like, why? That doesn't work that way, Sean. <laughs> like, notice the changes that have been positive. 
right? Like my confidence in my swing, like actually feeling like I have a swing. Like the score isn't changing much, but the game for me is changing. For one, I realize, I have to admit this, I realized for the first six months of golf, I did not accurately represent or track my score. I did not track every mulligan. I did not track every time like I fucking hit it out of bounds and dropped a ball. I didn't count that. Like in my scoring system, I didn't count it. I was just like, oh, I got eight strokes. I got a triple bogey. But if in reality, it was probably like a quintuple, you know, like a five <laughs> bogey over like no joke, you know, or if I took a mulligan right off of the tee box. Or once you hit double par, you just stop counting. Yeah. Or that. Hassan told me to do that. Just because my friend told me to do it just doesn't mean it's right. But the point is, two months ago, I started actually actually tracking. And I actually think if I were to compare it to before, I actually have improved dramatically. Hmm. Because I feel very confident in my swings. It's just errant still. It's not like precise, but I'm no longer like thinning the ball, chunking the ball like crazy. It's not like fucking slicing like crazy. Like I'm playing within bounds. It's just that sometimes like I just have a blow up hole, like bouncing a ball back and forth between the bunker because I still suck at bunkers. But like the point is like, I actually feel really confident on the course and things are improving. And so just that like slight shift in perspective instead of staring at a fucking scoreboard has taught me that, hey, this thing just takes time. Whatever it is I'm going through, it takes time. And the other thing is I, I had a big shift too because I used to feel guilty about playing so much golf. But I realized like for me, it is something that I wanted to commit to. And maybe this is an excuse, you know, that I'm giving myself. But I do think it's a reality for me where it's like, it's a tool that I want to have in my bag and my tool belts where I just want to play a respectable game, like level of golf. I'm talking like teens handicap in the 80s, where like I can go hang with anybody and just play a decent round of golf without stress. And I want that because from a business perspective too, like, I want to be able to hang with people that play golf and, and talk business. It's kind of like a business thing. I think that's why I'm just so committed to it. I just want to get there and, and then be done with it. And be done in the sense that like not be so addicted to it. Because I did see this other thing on Tim Ferriss's Instagram the other day. It was Derek Sivers saying like, dude, once you get good at something, stop doing it. Go learn something else. He was talking about how to reinvent yourself. It's like, once you get good at something, like stop. Like, do it periodically, but don't like, you know, go ham on it. Go learn something else. Go learn something new. And I was like, huh, that's kind of what I'm going through right now. Like, I want to get good at this thing and then I'm going to go learn something new. So, some quick updates on my end. Struggles I've been going through for the past five, six months since October, since Miles turned into a toddler, were around feeding, food, neophobia, right? Aversion of food, pickiness, and all toddlers. I can't even say all toddlers go through it. I don't think all toddlers go through it because I met a few toddlers that don't. And then over spring break two weeks ago for him, we started potty training him. And it's been really transformative, I want to say, the past month that we haven't recorded in the sense that like, I feel like, sure, he has grown. He's developed and grown in, in his own way in the past month. But I also think, if anything, I had grown a lot. Like his food aversion was a huge point of stress, conflict, and just feelings of insufficiency, just like feeling like a shitty parent, right? When you're, all your kid wants to do is eat rice, seaweed, and uh, that's it. <laughs> oh, sorry. And French fries, any kind of fries. Hey, man, that sounds like a great balanced nutritional meal. And you're just like, what the fuck? 
right? What's wrong with you, kid? Why don't you crave other things? We provide so many delicious options, you know? But I realized like I knew this all along, like we were the ones who were messed up, right? As the adults in the room. And so for one, I started cooking with him. My buddy Pierre has always said this. He does this with his daughter, who's around the same age as Miles. And when we hung out with him in Chicago, like she fucking ate, eats like a champ. She like just grabs food, eats like fucking everything. <laughs> Noodles, like vegetables, fruits. And here we was like, I'm trying to convince Miles to eat like a fucking tangerine. Just like, no. There's a grape. No. Apple. No. No fruits. No vegetables. Just French fries and white rice. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of kids that I know. Yeah, but I was like, there's something unnatural about this. And I realized what it was, was that like, I wasn't involving him. I treated him like a child. In his decision to eat the food? Decisions, everything. Involvement in making the food and choosing the food. And so the first thing I did was like, I took him to Whole Foods and we just walked every aisle, walked every aisle with the fruits. And I was like, grapes, you want to try? No. Strawberries, try? No. Apples, bananas. You know, you seen that song, apples and bananas, right? No. And we got to like fucking raspberries. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. I literally like just literally opened the box, grabbed one out. I gave it to him. And he was kind of like, all right. So I was like, should we buy this? He's like, no. <laughs> I, was like, Fuck. I was like, what about blackberries? He was like, yeah. I was like, all right. Open the box, give him one. He was like, all right. He liked it. Oh. I was like, want to buy this? He was like, yeah. I was like, all right. And that was like the kind of the starting moment. And, you know, we just went down the aisles and picked out foods. You know, he loves any kind of crackers. So anything like plain, right? And he actually picked out pretzels. And I found this pretzel that, that was like you know, made with ancient grains. It's like super fucking fancy. Tastes amazing too. And he fucking loves it. And by the way, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know this and they need fiber, blackberries, fucking amazing source of fiber. I did not know this, like top three in sources of fiber. And I bring this up because one thing I didn't mention was that he actually has, like Miles used to have serious constipation. This is on record. Hope he hears it 20 years from now. Like this kid like poops every four to five days. Okay. Like that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> He's got five days of shit inside of him. Okay. Again, another point of stress just like stresses us the fuck out. It's like, dude, how do you hold that much shit in? Yeah. Like, what are we doing wrong? Are you not hydrating enough? Like, clearly you're not eating any fiber because fries and rice has no fiber in it or barely nothing. But blackberries, fucking a shit ton of fiber. And he loves it. And so I buy him blackberries every day now. Like, nice. Every fucking week, just blackberries. But I started like involving him in breakfast, which was like very hesitant, re resistant against anything new. He especially hated eggs. But I was like, let's make an omelet. Let's make pancakes. And I just get him to help me make it. He fucking ate it. And I was just like, dude. And then that was like the tipping point. And once that opened up, then I was just like, now he's starting to try new foods. Now he's eating tangerines this week for the first time. Like he fucking loves tangerines. I knew you would fucking love it, you little kid. Little shit, you know, like, because <laughs> it tastes amazing. I only buy you the sweetest fucking tangerines, you know? Yeah. But that's the biggest thing. Like he kid eats everything now. I took him to lunch and, you know, we had some um, Mediterranean food. Fucking loved it. It's like, I knew you would have loved it. Because it tastes amazing. Just trying to think like cave people times, like what is natural, right? Like getting the kids involved with picking the foods or like gathering, right? Like that's natural. And then getting them involved at the fire pit, that's natural. That piques their curiosity because they feel like not only are they choosing what they're eating, but they made it somehow. 
Same with potty training. It's just one of the ways, I don't know, it's the latest fad, but in Asia, we have like a China lease. We have like pants with holes in them for babies. But it's just this natural thing where like you don't want to pee on your leg. And so he learned like immediately. And so now when he's home, we just butt naked. <laughs> nice. And he goes to the potty. He hasn't had an accident at all. He goes to the potty every freaking time. And he actually, since he started eating blackberries, I'm so proud to say he's pooped four times out of the past seven days. That's amazing. <laughs> like it's, you guys have no idea. I feel like I won the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a success. That's awesome. But that's the latest update on the past struggles of the last six months that I've been talking about, which is great. And all this is just, again, just changing perspective and seeing like, you know, stop seeing it as like my responsibility for him to eat to his responsibility to eat, right? To do these things. And then when I shifted that, I was like, then he, if it's his responsibility, then he better be fucking involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, that's pretty cool, man. You're watching your your kid evolve. Yeah. You know, like kids are so smart. Like they know all this stuff. He knew how to potty. Actually, I did have to show him like, as a guy, if you're a girl, you don't know this because Mink didn't know this. This guy, you had to point your little pee-pee down. He didn't know. He just sat down and just fucking squirted out the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you got to use your finger and push down. And he like, he learned. Like the second time he went to sit on the potty, I like pushed it down for him. And then after that, he just does it every time. But like, he knows all these things. Yeah, that's hilarious. It's like, you don't have to teach them. They know. You just got to get them involved so they feel like they're manifesting their own destiny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting what they want from the universe. Yeah. He wanted tangerines. He just didn't know he wanted them. Yeah, exactly. That's about it on my end. Pretty good one month update for everyone. I'm just really glad to hear actually you're going to church, not for the church portion, but you know, like the socialization part. I just think it's so important for us to like see people in person. Yeah, it's been nice. It's been good to see people. So if you're listening, y'all <laughs> want to see us, let us know. <laughs> Have a great week. See you guys. 